Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Hey, church, good to see you. I don't even know what genetically modified hair means. Uh, I didn't feel like anything was genetically modified this morning. I woke up, sound like I'm talking in a tin can, uh, not feeling good. My daughter's thrown up in the living room. I go into the bathroom, and there's just blood everywhere. And it was my son. I realized it's a junior high boy who does not know how to take care of a nosebleed. <laughs> like, why is it? It's like, to <laughs> Like everywhere, like in the sink, I thought we were going to have to tape it off as in a crime scene. Found out it was just one, one nosebleed. Really, you turned the whole bathroom into that over one nosebleed. So then I kissed my wife and said, good luck, babe. I'm going to church. <laughs> I'm not going to put this together. This is for you. See you at the 5 o'clock. All right. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, I'm just grateful for uh, just even the last few weeks we've had listening to uh, Pastor Ken and talking about how many of the challenges even last week uh, where you went through a 120-second trial and then you realized, wait a minute, no, it went through 120 years, right? So it's, I, I love going back to the messages and allowing the messages that are spoken on a Sunday not just to have good uh, just uh, connectability and, and, and emphasis on the people sitting next to me, but actually I apply it in my own life throughout the course of the week, Right. So just even thinking about what the ark means, what the church means, I look around today, and man, there's no better, it's not cliche, there's no better place to be on a Sunday morning than in a God-centered church, amen, where Jesus is, is present, his, his spirit is here, uh, and like Pastor Chris said, his goodness, it has no limits. Uh, in your story, my story, it doesn't matter what you've carried in today, it doesn't matter what your story is today, I am confident that God knows right where you're at. And he's got great things in store for you. Even in the midst of difficulty, I love how seeing in stories in people's life how God turns difficulties around and uses them really as blessing points. Not for just the individual or the family, but for the neighbors, for the community and people around. Amen. I'm excited. We are moving into, and Pastor Chris is really going to kick this off. I'm just, I just kind of titled my message this anyways. We're in thoughts and things. We're going to really kick it off this next week. I'm excited about uh, listening to Pastor Chris and just what God's been preparing in his heart. Uh, but the message today, it lines up with that. The way we think, I think, is important. Would you agree? And we know that uh, our feelings can be a little bit misleading at times, and that's putting it kindly. Uh, a lot of times they can be misleading, uh, and... Uh, I think if we don't think right, and if our focus isn't in the right spot, man, we can really uh, jeopardize our life in ways that um, just is beyond what we can even understand and realize. But if we set our attention on God, that's what I'm going to talk about today, the purpose of God uh, in our life. As we set our as attention on God, as he is the source and he's the, the author of our life, it's amazing where in which uh, God can work through our lives and how he uses us to, to reach people uh, for his sake. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, it says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will, will draw it out. The purpose in a man's heart is deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. What's the, what's the, the, the writer saying? He's saying that there is a great depth in each and every one of us. There is this incredible potential and the capabilities in each and every one of us based on our unique design are, are really overwhelming. 
but it requires a little bit of engagement on our part to draw those out and to be in a place to where we're allowing God to use us at a great capacity. Paul reminds the church in Ephesus as he's speaking to the Christians there. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, you can follow along with me in the screens. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship. Verse 10. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul's saying that you are the workmanship of God. Now, some of you are thinking right now you're sitting next to a piece of work. Uh, but that piece of work that you're sitting next to is a workmanship designed and established and created and originated and fashioned by God. He says you were created with purpose. And the purpose is for for good works. It's not good works that get you into a relationship with God. It's grace and grace alone that gets you into that relationship with God. But you were designed and created and fashioned with purpose, with functionality, and with a destiny. And it's for good works. You were prepared beforehand, Paul says, which means that this was uh, an act of being a premeditated design, meaning God thought about you at extensive lengths before you drew your first breath. And he continues to think about you at extensive lengths until you breathe your last breath here on good old planet Earth. God's with us from the very beginning to the very end, bringing about fulfillments of his purpose in and through our lives. So Paul leads us with a really strong suggestion. Since you didn't start yourself, since you are not a product of yourself, since you are God's workmanship, since you were designed with purpose, you are designed for good works, you were premeditated, uh, you were thought about before the cosmos, you were considered, you were wired, you were designed, you were fashioned and put together. As the psalmist says in 139, when you were in your mother's womb, you were being woven together with destiny and with perfection and with beauty and with order. So Paul says you probably then should just walk in that. And this is the challenge today. I don't always think that we walk in that. I think purpose has been at times twisted out of shape. And purpose within our life uh, has been thwarted by distractions, by the enemy, you name it. We get, we get lost in a wrong story, a different story that's not the story of Jesus. And what happens, the purpose of our life kind of goes in, in that direction. N.T. Wright says, only humans, it seems, have the capacity to live as something other than what they are. God reflectors and image bearers. Trees behave as trees, rocks as rocks, and the sea is and does what the sea is and does. It's only humans, it seems, that have the capacity to live as something other than what 
what they are. Have you ever thought about a nail? Have you considered, can I have a nail of wood? Have you considered a nail? Like how long this invention has just been in action? A single nail is very, 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 very intriguing to me. Why? Because there really hasn't been another invention that does what it does, right? It's, it's held for like, I think they started machining these in the U.S. like over 200 years ago. And we still use them today. Every builder in here, you have them in your tool pouch. You know how important these are. We went from hammering them with hammers to shooting them with a gun or, you know, air gun. Not air gun, nail gun. There it is. Uh, but the purpose of a nail is pretty simple. What does it do? It, con- it, it connects wood to wood. It connects things together. Um, and it's, it's amazing. When the nail is in its right purpose and then when it's being driven by a hammer. I don't have a hammer. I'll use Joel's iPad. When you... When you hammer it into the wood, what's fascinating is that the nail does exactly what it's supposed to do. That's amazing. iPads are amazing too. Um, Because out of the box, the, the capabilities of the iPad and the iPhone, my goodness, it's amazing. I was going back to the story of phones, thinking like when I had the flip phone, I had the Nokia. Right, let's go back to Nokia. How do we get back to the days that they were simple? They didn't follow you. You didn't have to check to see if you were, you know, important. Like your phone tells you if you're important now. (laughs) It's like, where have we gone? My goodness. Point being is um, this is an amazing thing. And the very fact that an iPad can drive a hammer or a nail into wood is amazing as well, but it's also really tragic. And some of you are like, man, that's a wasteful thing. I would say, actually, it's an expensive thing. That was a $600 example. But it was already broken. Don't worry about it. The point is this. Now we will never know the capabilities of this iPad. Uh, Why? Because it was misused. And my concern and the, the challenge I think the Holy Spirit is putting on us is there's a lot of misuse in our life that we'll never know the capability. Why? Because we're using it for the wrong thing. And I did this example, and this is, this is a great, man, this is a great audience today. First service is like they've seen that before. You know, like they're just like, seen it. No, you haven't seen it. Stop it. Second service, at least there's some oohs and ahs. And I, I needed that. You know why? The, in our youth church, uh, we had kids getting up on like one knee and leaning forward. I've never preached a message in a youth audience where they've leaned forward or got up on a knee for the word. But I break an iPhone, and I got kids in the back like, I don't even have an iPhone. Like, they're getting so mad that I destroyed an iPhone. You guys should do it someday. Go home, get an iPhone, and just hammer it to pieces. It is so, so rewarding. You will feel so much better. I, mean, I might just preach this message the rest of my life if I can just do this. This is, for some reason, it's so much joy. Point is, uh, the response is kind of funny, though, because I think so many times if we look at our day and look at people around us, you can identify that they are kind of living their, their life like this. It's the, the, the capabilities of this is way beyond uh, what is being used for. I use it for a simple hammer, and obviously it worked for the moment, but now it's not going to work. And it's broken, and it's fractured, and it's a misuse. And I think I, we look around, and there's misuse all the time. And we wonder why God doesn't work for us and why the Christianity doesn't just make sense and why isn't everything put in order. Well, maybe we're just misusing our life in such a way uh, that we've limited the capabilities of what we can do. And I think we got to look at our lives. What areas of our life 
have there been misuse. Um, when I was reading Revelations chapter 1, 2, and 3, I encourage you to do it because I won't be able to have time to do it today. But in reading Revelations chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, we see that John is on the island of Patmos. And he says he's there because of God, <laughs> which I love. Meaning he's in that place because the Lord led him to that place. See, there's circumstances in your life that you can't always blame on the devil. You can't always blame on your neighbor, on the enemy. Sometimes God will lead you to a place that is solitary. Sometimes to a place of what could be frustrating. Uh, it could be overwhelming. But if you have the right sight and vision set on Jesus, then you're lined up with, okay, this has to do with the big story. This is, there's purpose that is even in the struggle. There's purpose even in the midst of the storm. There's purpose to be had even in the midst of this trial. And we see that John's there. He's getting downloaded from heaven. And he then writes the, this, this beautiful uh, words of encouragement and warning and insight to these seven churches uh, that are addressed in the opening chapters of Revelation. The first church is the church of Ephesus. But when you read chapter 1, you, 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 you hear both at the beginning and throughout the course of Revelation, there's this continual echoing of this idea that God is the beginning and the end. He's the first and he's the last. He's the Alpha in verse 8, chapter 1, and the Omega, right? So what, what the writer is doing is the writer is putting us all in this framework that we are right and will always be in the window of God, in the timing of God. There's no place, there's no circumstance, there's no point in your life that you're ever outside the scope of God's care, his reach, his touch, his words of life, his encouragement. Even now, what your story is, it's still, regardless how horrible it maybe it is at this moment, it's not outside the wonder of God's grace, his time, his scope, and his reach. And this is needed, especially for some of the encouraging words that he's going to speak to these churches. Now, how many know the church is not just a building, it's made of people like you and me? So as I just share out of Revelation, just for a few moments this morning, please, please, please be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying in your life. What are areas that have maybe been out of line that need to come back into alignment in your life so that you don't have to live like this with limited capabilities, but you can live uh, with this purpose for life, the one that God has intended for you. He says, he who has ears to hear, this is a constant theme throughout Revelations, let him hear. Meaning that we might, because it's repeated over and over again, it might suggest that there's a hearing problem within the church. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Today, he who has ears to hear, come on, let's allow God to speak to us. Let's listen and respond. To Ephesus, he says this, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you were, where you have fallen and repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I think it's interesting when we measure backsliding, we usually do it based on people leaving the church, sowing wild oats, uh, living kind of in a state, in a place of rebellion. But what if, just imagine if God measured backsliding a little bit differently? Uh, what if it had to do with... Uh, not the extreme of that, but what if it was something that had to do with, is your passion today the same as when you first said yes to Jesus? Like, I, I had this radical encounter with God when I was 19 years old. So, 20-some years later, is my passion today stronger or is it weaker? Have, to that degree, I think there's been a drift within my life. What about for you? Are you more passionate today are you more loved today with who Jesus is uh, than you were 
a few days ago or a few weeks ago or a few months ago. I think that the call is because in, in Ephesus, he's saying, you're doing all these things wonderfully. Good job here. Great job here. Keep it up here. But then he goes, but I have this against you. You've wavered in your first love towards me. And I just, the challenge today is, is that us today? Is that some of us? And if so, God's asking you to return from the place that you've fallen and return to your first love. Isn't it amazing what love does? When you are in love with someone, the lengths that you will go and what you will pay and what you will spend and how creative you will be to, to be with them and to show them that, it's, it's remarkable. This is what probably is being spoken to this church. Remember, if you're in love with me, church, then what are the lengths you're going to go to? Uh, what are, what's, the, what's the price that you're going to pay uh, to demonstrate that love openly? He then goes on and speaks to the church of Smyrna. He says, you will be tested. But before he says you'll be tested, he, he qualifies it with it by saying, I am the first. These are the words of the first and the last, the one who died and the one who came to life. So again, before he gives them an, uh, kind of this forecast of what's going to happen to them, he, he warns them with this, or he encourages them with this by saying, I am the one who is the first and the last. Meaning, what I'm about to say next, just remember that I am the first and I'm the last. He goes, you're going to be tested. There's going to be a trials of adversity in your life. But stay strong. Why? Because I got you from the very beginning, at the halfway point, before the halfway point, at every point along this journey, I got you. And maybe that's some of your story today, that you're in a, a season of testing and trials. I just want to tell you, God's got you. He's your first and he's your last. Uh, he's your beginning and he's your end. And he takes care of everything, every little unbeknownst detail in the middle. He's got you. Maybe it's your return to your first love. Maybe it's you just need that encouragement that uh, God's got me in the midst of this testing and trial. Then he speaks to the church in Pergamum. And he says, church... You have to repent. And this is a call to, to change the way that you think. You've, you've done well in this area, in this area, but then you bought into this false doctrine and this, uh, this, this misteaching, and you've got to change the way. You've got into this immoral practice, and you have to stop and change the way you think. You have to live differently. Why? Because there's purpose for you, and if you continue to live that way, you're going to put a cap on the capabilities of what I have for your life. Mark chapter 1, in all the Gospels, the theme, the central theme, especially in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says to repent and to what? And to believe. And this call to repentance is, it's a call to change the way that you think. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come, and it's made all things new. There's a new way of living. There's a new way of being. There's a new way of acting. And with this newness and this new kingdom, it requires what? A new mindset. And I think for some of us, we try and take on the story of Jesus without first allowing Jesus to get a hold of our mind. And so we bring in kind of this secular thought, kind of just twisted, weird uh, ideas, and we try and then transpose that on top of Jesus, and he says, no, it's the other way around. Let me have all of you, and I'm going to bring you into my story, but with my story, it's going to require that you have the humility to allow your mind to think differently. Not only that, you have to allow patience to go along with this for change to take place. So he's saying, repent, reimagine your life from ground up, come on, around King Jesus. To the next church, Thyatira, he says, hold fast. Some of you today just need to hold fast. Regrip. 
Hold fast. Regrip the promises of God. I think it's easy, especially with life dishes at us, that uh, it's easy sometimes to let go. And what God's speaking to this church is saying, no, don't let go. Even though you go through difficulty, even though you go through trial, what you have to do by my grace is just learn to regrip. I'll give you the strength to do it. Any um, uh, water skiers in the room? Yeah, yeah, come on. Show yourself strong. Let's see the hands. Slalom, right? Anyone? Yeah? Okay, there you go. Come on, water skis. You know, like when your arms get tired, what do, you, what do you do? I see it all the time, and I've done it as a kid. You put your elbow through. It doesn't look the safest. I'd be yelling at my kid if he did it. But then you, you put it down. I do this. I put it through the little, the, right, and then right here. Chris, I water ski. Sonny Argon, where are you at? Sonny Argon's dad taught me to water ski in Emmett, whatever that reservoir is. As a kid, and I did. I used to drop the ski and go slalom. So I know what I'm talking about. You shake your hand out. You either do two things. You just quit and let go of the rope, and the boat comes around and picks you up, uh, and you get back in, and your ride's over. Or if you know it's a full boat, and you're never going to have a shot at this again for another hour, what do you do? You regrip, and it's amazing, and you, go, and you go longer. I think what happens is we're conditioned just to forget it and let go and to quit. When God said, no, I'm not conditioning you to let go and quit. I'm conditioning you to re-grip. Like, get your grip again. So for some of you, the promises of God, they are yes and amen. What does that mean? It means it's going to happen. It means he spoke it, watch it come to fruition, but it requires engagement on your part and my part not to give up on the hope and the promises and the story of Jesus for our life. This is what he speaks to the church, Thyatira. And to Sardis, he says this. He says, Sardis, wake up. I know your works, chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. It says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. What is, what's being described here? This right here. He says, it, you look like you're alive. The reputation is that you're alive, but you're really not. And this is, I love this. This is the picture of God's grace. He, he gets on, he, he's able to maneuver from the outside of us and get into the inside of us. He's able to get past every filter. He's able to get past every kind of false image that we put up to let people know that we got it all together and that we're, we're good with God and we're just living our good Christian life. No, it's the Holy Spirit that gets through all those imageries that could be false and gets right to the heart and says, I know what you look like on the outside and what your reputation is, but you're dead inside. You need to wake up. And if you don't wake up, uh, there's, there's danger that's knocking knocking at your door. He says, I'll come like a thief in the night to you if you don't repent and if you don't remember uh, and receive what you heard. He says, so keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not know the hour in which I will come against you. I know this, that I never want the Lord against me. I always want the Lord for me. And this is the call to the church, which is not just a building, but it's the people that make it up, follows Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a call to wake up. It's a call to uh, Philadelphia for patient endurance. This is the sixth church that's mentioned. Saying, hold fast, patience, endurance. Uh, your enemies, the promise will bow at your feet uh, in the end. How many know that oftentimes the promises of God aren't a sprint, that you don't get them on a Tuesday and they're fulfilled on a Thursday? Uh, those ones are good, but those aren't the ones that happen all the time. Uh, oftentimes you see that it's a long, long walk in the same direction that God has called you to go, uh, and you inevitably uh, incur 
hardship and storm and trial and adversity. But what he's saying to the church of Philadelphia says, just endure it patiently. Why can you do it patiently? Because I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. And I'm starting this mission with you. And I'm not leaving you for one moment, for one second. And I'm going to take you as you follow me from this point, And I'm going to take you through all these different variables, right? How many know that if you're a long-distance runner, that you run through some different variables, different seasons? What you have to do is you have to encourage yourself that as you just keep going, you will eventually make it. And when you make it, what happens? Relief overwhelms your entire life, right? So th this is the challenge. For some of you, you just need to keep going and be encouraged this morning. Patient endurance. God is with you. He's for you. And to the last church that's mentioned here in Revelations, it's the church of Laodicea. And this is uh, a alarming call in charge of this church. It's to stop being mediocre or lukewarm. And God even says this is something that turns his stomach. Do I rather have you hot or cold but lukewarm? It's this picture of vomiting, spewing out of, of the mouth. This is the, the call. Because you weren't designed to be lukewarm, because your purpose from the very beginning wasn't to be lukewarm, but is to be on mission uh, for the king and his kingdom, uh, then you have to make this adjustment and realignment within your life. And I want you to consider where, where today are you in, in these seven examples. Uh, are you, you here today and you're like, yeah, that, that's me. I'm, I'm to that place where uh, I need to return back to this first love that I had with Christ from maybe months ago or years ago. Um, I've, I've drifted to some areas within my life. Maybe you're to the point where you're like, uh, I just need a new way of thinking. Uh, I need to repent. I need to allow God to just change the way that I view and think. Uh, let let the words of God create new creativity within my life. Let me th I, I want to be a part of the right story. I've been the wrong story for so long. Uh, I want to be a part of the right story. Maybe it's some of you just need to regrip on the promises of God, that you've given them up. You need to kind of dust them off and reclaim them again. Say, God, thank you that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes everything that has been sent to do. I've given up in this area of my life, but today I'm making a commitment because your grace is sufficient that I'm reclaiming this promise for me. It's not done. It's not dead. It's not broken. Thank you for the encouragement and the strength to be able to do that today. Whatever it is, um, we're going to, in a moment here, go into a worship song. And I just want you just to be open to what the Holy Spirit uh, is speaking and saying in your life. And then be humble enough to say, yeah, God, that's me. And right where I'm at, right in the seat, uh, I'm just saying uh, that this is what it's been. Uh, this is what I need. I'm asking that your grace would be that sufficient for me. Um, Robert Morris, and this is kind of interesting. Uh, he, he did a study with 500 other churches. Uh, and they did a study of people who attend uh, church. And they didn't come up with 10 different types of people who attend church or 20 types of people who attend church. They came up with four types of people who attend church. And I have a graphic that uh, the media, the team will put up on the screen real quick. So you can see what I'm talking about. Um, this is something I just doodled on my iPad, uh, not Joel's iPad, because uh, mine works. I'm not going to use it as a prop. But this is, this is what we have here, four types of people. We have the person that's in the audience today, and you're curious or you're investigating what this whole story of Jesus is all about. We have people in here today that you say that, yeah, I believe fundamentally in, in God. 
I believe in the Bible. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that uh, he's Lord, Savior of my life. And we have people in here that says, not only do I believe, but also I am a follower of Jesus. Uh, I'll just I'll follow him anywhere. And then we have people that uh, can identify with my life would be defined as being God-centered. Jesus first. Jesus always. Jesus at the very center of who I am. Now, the interesting thing about this is to go from curious to a believer it's something that we've already talked about, something we've already prayed about and declared. Uh, that's nothing that you can do. That's not any of us to go today and we're going to go search for God. No, you won't find him. You won't, on uh, your works and your efforts alone, like uncover a rock and, ah, oh, there you are, Jesus. I thought you were going to look different than that. No, what we see is that's all a story, what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 2 of the grace of God. Like there's, we're all the same in this. That we're in relationship with Jesus, not because of our works, but because of the sweet grace of Jesus. So grace moves us from being curious. He opens our eyes to see the surprising good news of who he is to being a believer saying, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and Savior of my life. But from a believer to a follower, there's something different. And the, 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 the underbelly or the foundation all the way across, I should draw another arrow up there, is always grace. So it doesn't stop being grace once you become a believer. It goes all the way through. As a believer to a follower, that exchange is something that's called biblical engagement. That's called Bible study. That's called prayer. That's called allowing God to spiritually form you inside and out. It's making your priority Jesus. It's making the word of God Jesus. And then to move from believer to follower, follower to being centered in God, centered in Jesus, that right there is all about giving. So you have grace all the way across, but grace moves you from being just curious. I encourage you, if you've been curious for a couple of years, come on, speed the process up. Because Jesus is so good. Just save some time and frustration. And before you leave under those, these doors today, please, 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 please uh, say, God, open my eyes to see you for who you really are. You move to believer where you confess with your mouth and your life has changed. Believer to follower is biblical engagement. And then follower to Jesus-centered is all about giving. What is giving? Giving is the tithe and offering. Yeah, but it's way more than that. It's giving of your talents, giving of your resources, giving of your time, giving anxiety and fear and phobias to Jesus. It's giving your strengths. It's giving your dreams. It's giving your past. It's giving your present. And it's giving your future to Jesus. Not just one time, but every single day. Like before you wake up fully and take on the world, to be a Jesus-centered person is to be a person that says, God, today I'm giving you absolutely everything. Before my feet touch the floor, I am today declaring that you are in charge of my life, that you are the God who leads me. You are Psalms 23 picture. You are the Lord shepherd of my life. I'm not going to allow the enemy or words or thoughts that are contrary to scripture to be the loudest voice in my life, but I'm going to allow your word to be in my life and in my heart. My concern, however, is I dust off shrapnel. My concern is that a lot of people might think automatically that they're Jesus-centered, but I think the stark reality is this, that you're actually not, you're actually a believer. What's wrong with a believer? Nothing's wrong with a believer. I'm a believer. But 
when I said yes to Jesus, it wasn't like the grand finale. When I said yes to Jesus, it was the starting gun, right? The race just started. When I said yes to Jesus, it means it's the very start. It doesn't mean I add to the grace of God. It means that I engage and I collaborate with the grace of God. It means that the disciples, Jesus want, comes to them individually, and he knows their name. He knows their story, and he comes to them individually, and he calls them from where they are into a new story, into a new vocation. They didn't automatically start Jesus-centered. They were curious. And then their eyes were opened by grace to who this man really was. And they moved from believer then to follower. Everywhere Jesus went as a rabbi, all these little disciples were chasing after him. They were following him into unbeknownst territory. They were, they were following him into scenes that were just crazy. If you've ever read the Gospels, they, they were in, in places that were above their head and beyond their knowledge and their reach, but they knew they were fine. Why? Because Jesus was right in the midst of them. And then you hear, and as we read back and look back on history, we realize that all the disciples except for John how they end. Their life was end, or the, their life, uh, the transition point of their life from this reality into the reality of heaven was through martyrdom. I would say this, that if they were just believers, that they, they wouldn't have had that type of transition into this, this next life. What I would suggest, I would suggest that God took them on this path of development and growing and maturing, where he took them from being curious to where Jesus is everything for me, and nothing else. It's Polycarp of old, Polycarp of old, in front of the Roman proconsul, 86 plus years old. And the Roman proconsul asked him to denounce his faith in Jesus. And he says, He's been faithful to me all these years, since there's no way that I can do that. So, what do they do? They put him in the Colosseum and they release the lions. Guess what the lions don't do? They don't do anything to him. So then they put Polycarp on a cross and he asked not to be put upside down, but right side up. And what do they do? Uh, they try and crucify him, but he doesn't die. And they end up lighting this man on fire. Why do you say that story? Well, I say that story to say that that's a picture of someone who just didn't, on the weekends and every once in a while, just kind of tease this relationship with Jesus. But I, I'd say this. That is an individual that says, all of my life, no matter where it takes me, I'm going to follow Jesus to the very end. And in doing that, there's going to be honor and purpose for my life. That was a man, and the same is true for this audience today. We have the capability and the purpose that God has written in our story to have a much bigger story than that some of us are probably living right now. But it requires that we move from just being curious and just being a Sunday believer to Sunday through Sunday, every day's ups and downs, trials, adversities, victories, losses. We're saying, God, we are centered in who you are. We can't do that if we don't have the right frame of thought and if we're not feeding the right way. Meaning if we don't filter our life through what's important. I guarantee you, our thoughts will get railroaded by so many life's distractions uh, that we'll end up more like this when we knew we could have been something so much more. Do you have a filter in your life? Like, do you have a filter for your spiritual journey, for your walk with Jesus? Filters are very, very important. And just to lighten the mood for a moment, there's this one story that I have. I was with my friend, and he's a builder, and we were way out in the middle of nowhere. Water was, was limited. 
Um, we already ran out of uh, our, our whatever water we brought. It was gone. It was July. Come on, in Idaho, in one of those Julys in Idaho. You know what I'm talking about? Like to where it's like it says 98, but it feels like 140, right? And the sun's beating down on you. I'm working on the roof, putting on shingles, and I'm thinking I'm not going to make it through this day. Out of nowhere, my buddy says, I got water. He throws up the thermos to me. I'm like, oh, you are sent from heaven. And I begin to drink the water. And as I'm just downing this water, I have hear the voice of an old man from uh, down the way. And he says, I wouldn't drink that water if I were you. It comes right from that ditch. And he pointed to the ditch where the spigot was obviously coming out of. And instantly, I thought I was going to die. Uh, I opened the top of the container, look in, and sure enough, it's yellow and sandy. Uh, but I was so hot and desperate. What happened is my thirst, what happened? It got out in front of wisdom. My thirst got out in front of asking the right questions. I should have said, wait a minute, where would you get this water from? But I didn't. The thirst drove me, drove me somewhere uh, that once I realized where I was at, I realized, man, this is not a good thing. So what do I do? I get off the roof, and I try to make myself throw up. And I think all day long that I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die. Another quick water story. Years later, I go to Kenya with Dr. Stan. We're with uh, uh, our friends over there at uh, KCOM. And on a Sunday, he goes to one church, uh, and I go to another part of the northern part of Nairobi. Uh, and I'm at this church. And before the service starts, as actually the service already started, they're in a worship session that makes our worship sessions. Like We're like 25 minutes. They're like mm, two hours. And so we were in his office, and he had made tea for us. And if you don't know anything about Ken, there's tea time all the time. Where we were staying, I would drink the tea because I knew where the water was coming from. And so I'm sitting in front of this pastor, and there's not a lot of conversation um, because I don't know the language and vice versa. And so there's a lot of, we're smiling at each other, and he scoots the tea in front of me, and he asks me to, to partake. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm partaking, but I'll trick him. I will put, I'll put the cup to my mouth and let the Tea hit my mouth, but I won't, I won't ingest it. So I would do that, you know, uh, point to the tea. Uh, and this went on for a while, and I'm thinking, there's no way I'm drinking this tea. I'm the type of guy that the bottle cap has to snap before I hear it. And if it wasn't a good snap, then I get a new bottle. You know, it's just, you know so this is kind of me. So here I am, and I'm in the middle of, of you know, nowhere. Uh, and the conditions aren't as blessed as we have it here, so let's count our blessings. Uh, I'm, I'm there, I'm thinking, there's no way I'm drinking this water. And uh, the translator who's sitting by me, he goes, hey, once you finish your tea, pastor says, uh, we can go in and you can go in and preach. I'm thinking, oh boy, okay, so that's what it is, huh? There's no tricking him, I got to drink the tea first, and then we'll go in and preach. And I had, I, I, in that moment, I knew this this pastor was going to go ahead and let this worship service run all day until I finished that tea. So <laughs> I'm like, all right, here we go. So I, I drank the tea. It was good tea. It tasted amazing. And um, I went to preach. And all the while I was preaching, I thought, I'm going to die. Like, why am I even here, God? How are you even using me? I'm so focused on my life. I'm not even considering the gospel. Like, what in the world? Such a selfish young man. All I'm considered about is what I just ingested into my stomach. And so we get done, and at the end of the service, I'm talking to the translator, and I just I said, what do you do? He goes, what do I do? He goes, I am, and he's just great English, and I'm a just fascinating guy. He goes, I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I'm like, you're an engineer? What kind of engineer? He's like, I actually work at the water plant. I'm a water engineer. I'm like, no way. 
I go, um, how's the water here? He goes, oh, it's horrible. He goes, in Nairobi, the, the water and the sewage, because of the, the pipes and the broken down, there's this cross-contamination. And so you're drinking water, it gets contaminated with sewage, and it's just, it's awful. People get sick, people, people get really ill. And then you could imagine my face thinking, I knew it. I'm, I'm a goner. I'm not going to see my wife again. Uh, they're going to bury me here in Kenya and just done. But something, so as my face was like, jawline was dropping, I was turning white, all the color, pigmentation was going out of my skin, thinking this is it. He's done the opposite. He's grinning. He's leaning forward. He gets up on his toes. He leans into me. He goes, but the water right here is the cleanest water in all of Kenya. He goes, it comes from that source where the first village it hits before it moves downstream, down the pipes, to Nairobi where it gets contaminating. But right here, this is the freshest water ever. Why do I share that story? Two stories. Well, one story, my thirst got out in front of me, and I drank the wrong thing, and it could have really made me sick. This story, however, because the water was filtered, do you know how many cups of tea I had after service? Like, I struggled with one before, but because now I knew the process it went through, and it's clean, drinkable water, my shoulders went back. I was confident. I was encouraged. I thought my message was awesome, even though I don't remember what it was. You know what I'm saying? Like, before, everything was, like, downcast. Now I was like, yeah, this is, this is, this is the day. And my challenge for you, I think sometimes we live downcast and we live defeated. Why? Because we're just taking what's ever offered. Any thought that comes our way, yeah, I guess we'll take that. I guess that's ours. And we're, we're drinking stuff, we're ingesting stuff that was never ours to put into our mind, into our thinking, into our heart. So we just acquire stuff because it's there and it's available with not taking any time to allow the Holy Spirit to bring some filter within our thought process in our life and things within us. So what's my thought process or what's my filter? And I think this is very important. So that we're not like just curious and so that we're just not confident uh, or, or uh, content just kind of being a churchgoer that just knows like maybe a half of a Bible verse. Because Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man and woman who what? Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but their delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in that law, they meditate every once in a while, every year, January 1st. 30-day plan. No, they meditate day and night. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Matthew chapter 22. What's this a story of? It's a story of every day reminding yourself that the Lord God is one God, and you're to love him. Your purpose is to love him with your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And to do that well, you have to place yourself in the the area in the zone that God has intended for you. It's to get in his, his word. So what I do with big decisions, little decisions, thoughts that come in, thoughts that are flying around, my driving, my family life, being a husband, being a father, being a pastor, being someone just in the city, a in, the, in the neighborhood, in the community, what I do is I filter my life in such a way because I want to know if I can drink it on the other side. Is it potable? Is it clean? If not, then I don't want anything to do with it. Unfortunately, I think we're just drinking in and taking in everything. This is what I do. The first filter, number one, is I filter my life through the Holy Spirit. 
This is the promise. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you without help, but I'm going to leave you the helper. This is the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. And he's going to teach you all these things. John says this in chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Hello. This is the promise that you get inside information. Like you, in the midst of difficulties and uh, even... Uh, messages that are, are, are negative and confusing. In the midst of all that, he's saying there is a filter that will give you the inside scoop on how to prosper and how to be and how to live and how to follow Jesus accurately. And it's the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you all these things. So before I go to my safe group, my friend zone, before I go to uh, my, my, my pastors, before I go to the person next to me, before I click on Fox News or CNN or listen to what Dr. Phil Oprah has to say, I go to the Holy Spirit. I say, Holy Spirit, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. This is kind of the thought of my life. This is the struggle. Or this is the win. This is the opportunity. What do you think, Holy Spirit? And I wait. Why? Because the Holy Spirit speaks to us in ways that make perfect sense. Not just the pastors, not just a few people, but everyone who said yes to Jesus. If you get yourself in a place of just waiting patiently, guess what? God speaks to you, and he brings clarity out of confusion at times within your life. Go to the Holy Spirit. The next one is I go to the Word of God. Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every, look at that, every Every good work. Remember, Ephesians, what Paul says, you've been created for good works. You're my workmanship, says God. There's purpose for you. Well, through the word, I've made it accessible that for every good work, you're resourced. You're supplied for that. So the Holy Spirit, filter number one, filter number two is I go to the word of God. My concern is that we probably have, I don't know, I can't even throw a percentage. It, It might be so alarming. It might be frightening. But I would say 85% of people in the room today are probably under that, um, not just curious, but the believing circle. Like, don't, are, you, are you sure you can talk to me like that? I'm just throwing it out there. Like, do you read your Bible every day? Do you study it out? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to your heart? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to change your mind? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to get you out of the ruts of, of sin patterns and wrong living? If so, then maybe, maybe, it's, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's, it's a little less than that. But I think so many times we're, just, we're okay with just hearing a message on a Sunday and think that's going to get us through the entire week, which is just great success. But no, it requires self-governing in your life. You have to self-govern. I mean, you can't have your pastor waking up at your bedside. Like you wake, oh, Pastor Chris, hello. Just, you slept in this time. I've got people to get to, but you've, you slept in. You kind of have to rush the other ones. No, but when I wake up, it's weird. I didn't do it first service, but I, this is what I do. You guys think I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. I lay in my bed, and I'm a, I'm a straight layer, right? Lay in my bed, got my zone. I wake up. I'm like, good morning, Holy Spirit. Go back to Pastor Benny Hinn as a kid. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Like, you do this every day? Man, I try. I'm trying to think of a day I haven't done it yet. And I've had some wake up on the bad side of the bed. But right when I'm ready to put my feet on the ground, I know this. When I put my feet on the ground, my day starts. So this is what I do. I even did it today. If you had a picture of my room, I was like, half of my was laying off the bed. I'm like, when am I going to preach this? I can make sure I live this today. I'm like, before my feet hit the floor, 
God, I'm telling you today, before I start my day, that you are king. I don't feel that good. I'm under the weather, but it doesn't matter. You're still king. Things are going crazy around us, but you're still king. And I'm, I'm reminded today that your grace is sufficient, that you love me. But you just don't love me. You love the people that I'm about ready to hang out with at our church. And you've got great things for their life. And there's promise that people are going to regrip on today. And there's, there's, there's repentance and the change of mind and thinking that's going to take place today. Why? Because of who you are. Your grace is always and forever sufficient. And then when I think that I started my day right and I got going, then I put my feet down. And then I take on whatever the day brings to me. But I filter my life through the Holy Spirit. I filter my life through the Word. My wife called me the other day, and she says, babe, and then she had a few things that we had to talk about. I'm like, hey, let me call you back. And she's like, okay, something wrong? I'm like, no, I'm driving, and I haven't read my Bible yet. And you know me, babe, if I don't read my Bible, and if I don't spend time praying, I'm not going to think well. So the Holy Spirit gave to me this kind of just quick little, little thing at the beginning of the year. He says, Shane, I want you to read I want you to pray, and then you can think, so that you can think, and then you're going to pray again, and you're going to read. So I try and do this every day. I read first. And so when I was cruising to work the other day, I didn't have my Bible, because I'm not th- I don't read my Bible and drive. That's bad. That's why you got to memorize sometimes. And so I had some Bible in me called memorization, and I began to quote it, begin to say it, and then I begin to pray it. And I'm driving past parts of my city and like, whoa, the Holy Spirit like gets you for a moment. You think about people that live around there and you start praying for them. And it's funny how worry and anxiety and fear don't any longer crowd your thoughts. It's like they're so far from you, you're actually now thinking in the right place. Then you can get in your place, your vocation. You can get by the person that's annoyed you. But because you've read, prayed, and you thought before you got to work, now you can really think, and now you can really pray, and now you can really 